Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Winds of change are blowing. There's excitement in the air. Can you feel it? It's electric and magical. The happy train's on track. Because America is Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. America is back. What's up, brother? Oh, what a night, Andrew. Not really, but <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a suitably absurd intro to, uh, to tonight's game. We have qualified, and by we, I mean the United States of America, so I mean you. Um, it's great. It's, it's good, but um, I think what you said to me during... The game was correct. The celebration kind of was against Panama. This was uh, this was more of a hangover. Yeah, yeah. I'm finding that the people aren't knowing how to handle this night. Like it's you saw watching the post game on CBS. You got Clint Dempsey, who looked. I don't know, kind of dejected in some ways. Yeah, as champagne is being poured around him, like no one. Really no, like I'm I'm on my phone, getting text messages from some friends that are you know we're back in the World Cup with a bunch of exclamation marks and others who are like oh what was that like it's a weird night. All I could say to people is like feel like however you're feeling isn't wrong, but don't lose just try not to lose sight of what was achieved tonight. It may not have taken the exact form that you wanted it to, and we'll talk. We'll talk a little bit about the game. The game itself isn't necessarily the the big story. I mean, the fact of the matter is, qualifying ended tonight. So we're going to kind of do a retrospective look back on this qualifying campaign, our takeaways from it. But look, ultimately, it, they're in. They're in the World Cup. That that was the goal. Uh, so try like. Try not so to just lose enjoy sight. It. So just enjoy it, would you? Just well, not just don't lose sight of that. Like be be disappointed in this outcome, um, and don't don't fake your feelings. Like mm. I I wouldn't tell Clint Dempsey like if that's how you're feeling. I wouldn't tell him to like stand up and high five everyone in the room. Like he's not wrong. Christian Pulisic didn't know how to feel on the field after the game, and he was playing in it, and he was in Trinidad five years ago. Do you think we'd be we'd feel different if suddenly the door burst open to our studio here on the Upper West Side, and in came Big Meeks? With champagne <laughs> and Morris Edu hooping and hollering. Yeah, I w- look, I would drink the champagne, sure. I mean, why Why not? Um, but yeah, like, the, the conflicted celebratory feeling, I, I understand, because I kind of feel that way too. The celebration was the other night, the 5-1, that felt like the moment where we could kind of breathe, and this was sort of just like a battle against the clock tonight. Uh, right. And they, they saw it out. They did what needed to be done. It was not pretty. It does feel a little bit like backing into the World Cup. But just think about that sentence, like into the World Cup. Uh, it's where they want to be. Um, and so, you know, I, I will remember this as a a, f- a, a fine night. This was a fine <laughs> night. <laughs> you were very annoyed. I don't know how to—I'm having a weird, conflicted time with this, too. Yeah, look— I think everyone is going to take a couple of days or 48 hours, really, less than 48 hours. And then when the draw happens for the World Cup 
and you you start talking about who you could potentially play and the excitement builds. Yeah, you will forget a little bit about this now. There's no getting away from the fact that you finish on equal points with Costa Rica in fourth place. And that doesn't feel great. And you see Canada topping the table, Mexico in second. It, I, I think our friend Matt Sears put it best. Um, let me just pull up Matt's tweet quickly here. Um, so glad we made it. That being said, and I hate being the cynical weasel here. Weasel. Hmm. But at some point, I'd like to make it without losing the final game by less than X goals. I'd like to get to a point where we qualify with games to spare. It is what it is, but I'll take it. Now, like historically, it just doesn't ever happen that way. And we're we're we were at a venue tonight where the US don't win ever. Now that was your main frustration. You were sat back watching this. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm tr- I don't. I swear, I, this podcast is not going to be... Recriminations. Pro- right, but like, it's just weird to me. Like, Costa Rica are, are good. They're certainly a good soccer nation. I'm not trying to belittle them in any way. But the stat that CBS provided at halftime, I stopped dead in my tracks. I was halfway out the door to go get water. And I said, wait, I turned around and looked at you. I said, wait, what did he just say? Yeah. This was the first time we've even been tied with them at the half since 92? <laughs> yeah. Like they're, they're, again, they're good, but we're good too. It doesn't. It's very weird that we we can't do anything in that country. It's very very strange. That I'll say this. I'll say this for whatever negative feelings people want to have about tonight. That's that's totally your prerogative. But the fact of the matter is, thank bleeping God, they took care of business before tonight. So tonight didn't really matter oh, again yeah. it mattered like we they just needed to not lose by six goals that was never going to happen so you know to the who was it matt sears that tweeted you know just for once i'd like to not have to wait until the final day he, this he, is as close as you really get for the u.s to not doing their business on the final if, day. if i wanted to be put ultra positive spin on it i guess my response to that and i say this not even fully knowing if i buy into what i'm about to say but whatever uh, my response to that would be, we're all sitting here regaling in what Canada just achieved. Right. That this was a, a an incredible triumph of the human spirit. I mean, look at what uh, look at these Canadians. This is this is what we all are aspiring to be now. Oh, easy now. That's and and we're kind of down on this U.S. performance. Not officially, but basically, we're we're sitting here, JJ, a moment ago, saying that the real celebrations were the other night against Panama. So if you were to look at that. You could essentially say that the U.S. and Canada qualified on the same day. So for I mean, however incredible the Canadian performance was, which it was, and however poor you think this U.S. performance was over the course of qualifying, they kind of qualified on the same day. Yeah, I mean, it, it, not to always push back against you. <laughs> I understand but that, I, that I, a lot of people... I saw that we have one Canadian listener, I think, who got into the Reddit I was scanning oh, through. Oh, I saw that. He was really... <laughs> He at w- the way we've covered Canada. He was. I, I'd forgotten that New York is a province of, uh, of Canada. <laughs> well, to him, I just was going to say, like, yeah, what a surprise that on a on an American U.S. soccer emergency podcast, we spent most of our time talking about the U.S. soccer game. Like, Right, exactly. And what, uh, what did you think you were getting? Have you only just parachuted in now after... 
all these years of us doing this, but whatever. By the way, for our, for our Canada in the club, he's going to be very disappointed when we do that. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, he's probably moved on by now. Why would he still be listening to this show? I mean, he seems like he listens all the time. <laughs> but anyway. But he hasn't got the theme. <laughs> so give me your pushback, though, to that statement that the U.S. and Canada qualified together. Um, I mean, Canada feel, felt like and almost were home and hosed a few games before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I think it's worth saying that you know, they did actually qualify, whereas ours was more of a technically kind of sort of. Yes. They, theirs was de jure, ours was de facto, and and that's the point. And we went and we had another game, and a game in which it could have been potentially nervous, and we didn't play well tonight. That's that's the other side to it, too. And Costa Rica put out a experimental side with 17 and 18-year-olds who really played very well. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. You thought, you thought. If not now, when? Compare that performance by Costa Rica to the one that they served up when they put out the AARP All-Stars. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a, they've got some good players. By the way, it's not like we blew them out of the water that night. It was 2-1. No, that's true. That's true. But um, they had some good performances tonight. Aguilera stood out for me. I thought he was... Mm-hmm. I thought he was outstanding. Got a big ovation coming off. Deserved. so. Deserved. And um, and that will hearten Costa Rica uh, for their intercontinental playoff game, which will happen on the 13th or 14th of June, according to Wikipedia, because I went on the CONCACAF website and they had nothing. <laughs> nothing. Um, against, yeah. against New Zealand, we, we should point out. We should point that out, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, a weird night. Uh the, the Twitter feed, and I won't go through all of them because I, I really do feel like they might be a dampener, but there was some there was some themes that came up and we'll we'll talk about them uh, going through the show. But yeah, the, the Twitter feed initially after the game was a, a little bit a little bit down, a little bit dark, uh, kind of to be expected. But I believe that by Friday, once we know the group that we're yeah. in, I think the, the joy levels will be up and America is back. And yeah. that's, that's the point. Um, I... I don't really. I mean, I have a couple things on the game tonight, but that's not to me. That's not really my interest. My interest is. Oh kind no, of I, I more, want to go minute by minute on this. <laughs> my one. interest is kind of more like qualifying is over now. This thing that we've been waiting all these years for. That's it. It's over. Um, and I kind of want to take a bit of a retrospective look at just okay, how do we? This was the great gauge. You know, the, the CONCACAF Nations League final was fun, but that was a standalone individual performance. The Gold Cup was fun, but that was a B squad. And, you know, this was the gauge of, okay, where where are we now? How should we be feeling about this team? Obviously, phase one was qualify. Mission accomplished. Right. They did it tonight. Um, but phase two is, okay, well, we did that, but what do we have here? Uh, I don't know that it's entirely clear. No. Um, I, I agree with you. I We had a conversation, folks. Over dinner. We had dinner together, which was lovely. I love, Bef- uh, I love whenever we do that. Yeah. Before the game, and we had a beer, and we talked. And I think we, we we basically went through qualifying, and a lot is uncertain. A lot is unclear. I think what is clear is that we have a group of players that are exceptional talents in some areas. Um, and then we have a manager that has kind of molded a style of play that it, but that isn't always effective. And we have a very uneven record coming out of qualifying that reflects that. On the road, one win. One win away. That's 
It's not great. It's uh, not great. It's unfortunately somewhat, it feels almost consistent with past qualifying. Unless it's Saint, Saint Vincent and the Grenadine Islands, we we don't do great on the road. And that is something that you, I, I expected to be better and, and really wasn't. And I think as well, I did get the performance, that one key performance, which I didn't see in either the Nations League final or the Gold Cup final, despite the wins. I did get that one bear halter performance where I thought this team is delivering and that was home to Mexico. I did see that and that gave me quite a, quite an amount of heart. Uh, but then I did, I, I saw away at Canada, away at Panama. Uh, tonight, I'm putting a box to the side, but the Panama... Uh, are you, I'm not, I wouldn't put tonight in a box. Right. I mean, look, they came out and played... Let me take it back out of the box. Well, then. I only say that just because I just... I understand that their the US's goal tonight was a a different kind of goal. It was to simply it was to qualify. I mean obviously with that winning would have been nice, but like I said, I think their battle was against the clock more than it was the scoreboard. They just needed that clock to run out before and and Costa Rica kind of did them some favors. Like they played a clear B squad tonight. They they were afraid of of guys who were on yellow cards getting another one and missing the match against New Zealand. So that's how they were playing this one. Um and so this I mean, the U.S. put out a regular team. Yeah. Uh, and didn't play well. What chances pre- presented themselves they didn't take. Um, I wouldn't go as far as Dr. Benjamin Rush here. Pathetic showing. This was worse than Trinidad and Tobago game five years ago. All right. Relax. Okay. I mean, Glad st- we qu- stop. Stop. No. Okay. Can't finish That's, that. J.J. was the worst night in the history of U.S. soccer. Right. Okay. This was not worse. Okay. You don't want me to finish this then? Not really. No. Uh all we're really celebrating is that Honduras and Panama suck much, much more than they did five years ago. I don't. I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure. I. I buy totally into that. But if you want me to say the U.S. certainly haven't cracked Concacaf World Cup qualifying and don't have this thing completely. Ah, oh, we got this. It's. A, they don't. They don't. No. Um, I was going to get to this question later, but it feels like we've kind of arrived at it now. So. Oh. So let's just go right to it. The comparisons between, you know, that night, October tenth, two thousand seventeen, to this moment where we are here tonight. Everyone that night, you know, screamed from the mountaintops that things needed to change. You know, Taylor Twelman, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. You know, that was that was the feeling that night, and here we are. So what, what changed? Uh, the team changed really. You can't you can't compare the two sides really. We we changed. Is as, that as, is that it? Kind of is really. Uh, I think the manager, as much as he comes in for criticism, he he does have a much more definitive style of play. Let's take the Klinsman and take the Bruce Arena eras. Bruce is a little bit different as his job description when he came in to take over from Klinsman was very very clear. You I never knew that there was a coherent plan, style of play, tactical effort from the Klinsman era. Whatever you say about uh, Bearhalter, there is. In attack, he has a certain way he wants to play. He wants to play with a mobile, interchangeable almost front three. Mm-hmm. In midfield, we have the possibly soon to be in a few years' time, the best centre midfielder we've ever had in Tyler Adams. We didn't have that. Um, 
in the last qualifying campaign. We have people who can possess the ball, carry the ball. Um, we have a team that's able to create overloads and positions. We have wing-backs who play in that very modern style of play, who like to t- attack and get forward. We have a creative wing-back in Serginho Dest that we simply did not have in the last qualifying campaign. Personnel has changed. And, um, and to give the manager his credit, and I'm going to get crushed for this because you're not allowed to do that, but he has a coherent, definitive style of play. That's what's changed. But you can't, you just can't get around the fact that personnel is... Pulisic is so many years older. We have, uh, you know, like a Giovanni Reina. We have so many talented players uh, and young players and players who are brought up to play in a different way to the, the core group of 2017. The players certainly have obviously have changed. And, I, and this is uh, undeniably, I believe, a better team than the one that was out there four years ago and in the last qualifying cycle. Um, but the results weren't, they weren't that different. No. I mean, the, the big differences here were the home results against Mexico and Costa Rica. I mean, I, those were, if you, if you take care of business at home in CONCACAF qualifying, you go to the World Cup. And also getting one win away in that final phase. I know the phases have changed. This was a different qualifying system. Um, you could say even a kinder one for the U.S., but we did get that one win away, which we did not get the last time round. Right. So the, those three points made a huge difference. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, the, the personnel makes a massive, massive difference. And if you want to give credit to Dave Sarakin and then Bear Halter, it was that they saw what was needed to be done. This has got to change. This has got to change. And the floodgates opened in terms of trying out talent. Yeah, and everyone knew it right away. I mean, I don't think there was a whole lot of, you know, uh, that was Dave Sarakin's job, was to come in and wipe the slate clean. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was much, he, he did it uh, at a slower pace, and then Bearhalter completely came in and accelerated the, pa- the pace of young players coming in. That, those amounts of young players that have come in will not be enough for, for all our listeners. I, I understand that. And there are names that you are screaming at your at your device right now that you wish had got more of a run in this qualification, understood. But it's undeniable that the, and I don't like calling it Deadwood, Deadwood, that's not fair. The old guard were moved on at a rapid pace. Yeah. Now, um, I do want to say this. Not everyone was moved on. And for whatever, for whatever negativity we're throwing out into the atmosphere tonight, I do want to say that there are a few select. I'm happy for the whole team. Uh, you know, they for whatever for whatever you think of tonight, they did what needed to be done and they qualified. So I'm happy for all of them. But a few guys in particular: Paul Ariola, DeAndre Yedlin, um, Christian Pulisic, Kellen Acosta. Those guys were on the field that night in Trinidad and Tobago. You know, they felt that that night. They lived that experience. And they were a part of this group as well. This means a lot to to everyone on this team, but I gotta think that the guys who lived that and had to wear that, this has to feel, I would think, just a tick more important uh, and more significant to them. Well, as we talk right now, we're seeing one of those guys, uh, DeAndre Yedlin and uh, Timothy Weah, coming out with the goggles. There's uh, a full party going on in that locker room right the, now. Yeah, they are. 
if if we're if we're trying to tiptoe around celebrating, they are not. Um, they're wearing the goggles, making sure. Yeah, By the it, way, I'm fine with that. No, of course I am. <laughs> it, the fans can feel differently than the, than the players. Like this, that. That's this is okay. an achievement. They will play in a World Cup. That will be DeAndre Yedlin's second, and it will be coming at the latter stages of his career, which goes to show how precious these things are. Yeah. Even though Arsene Wenger would like them to become every weekend. But um, going back to what you were saying, that's um, that's going to be so sweet. And this qualifying, at the start, Andrew, I looked at the the way it was going to be set up because of COVID and the rapid pace it had to, like every window had to be utilised with qualifying. Mm-hmm. And I worried about that. And I do think it is an achievement and something to be proud of that we only had one window with two games. Every other window was a three game, was a triple header. To get through that and at the end of it be going to a World Cup, I think that is something. The U.S. came into this final window with the pressure at its highest and its injury tally at its most significant. And they got what, in the end, wound up being a massive point against Mexico. And they dropped a five spot to crush their goal differential for the game against Panama. So... They, I mean, look, tonight, again, leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but they answered the call uh, for what needed to be done in this window. Uh, so you can't forget that. Um, going back to what you said about what has changed, you went straight to the team. Like that, It's as simple as that. The team is what changed. Uh, Taylor Twelman was on ESPN Daily, the podcast, uh, earlier today. He was asked the question, and he had a similar answer to you. Did a lot change? Pablo, I'm going to say no. Hmm. But the biggest thing that changed is probably the most important thing that changed is that all of a sudden the American player was viewed differently at the highest levels because of what Christian Pulisic did in his initial time at Borussia Dortmund. He goes on to talk about that, that with this team you had a different set of players and a lot of them thriving at the highest leagues in Europe. Around a year later, so I'm going to say October 2018, the World Cup had already happened. There were about three or four big-time scouts that said there's going to be 30, 40, maybe 50 Christian Pulisics in Europe within the next five to six years. American youth who then go over to develop in the actual like top-shelf training programs. Yes, and playing at a high level, right? Not just training, but playing and contributing. And I said this publicly. And a lot of people disagreed. Well, this year it refurbished because there's 41 players Mm. contributing in the top five or six leagues of Europe. Think of that. That's a huge number, and it and it is the difference. Yeah, it it's it's it makes a massive difference. Um, because we talked about we we have said before though, um, and I'm I'm not I'm not stepping on Anthony Taylor said there, but. there are things that are controllable in international football. You know, your your basically your atmosphere, your facilities, what you do when you get your players together, how you utilize the the windows. But there are also other things that are not controllable. Greg Bearhalter can't control at what level his players played could play at. It was a big constant conversation only less than a decade ago with the head coach his players, the media, and the soccer intelligentsia in America as to where is best for our players to be playing. That was a debate. <laughs> that debate is no longer happening. Right. So that is definite progress. Um, but we've always said it is important that your players are playing at as high or as decent a level as they possibly can be, and that they're injury-free and they're available. <laughs> Those are just key things. And um, 
for the most part, for the most part, Bearhalter has been able to, you know, with rejigging it here and there where he hasn't had players, for the most part he's had that that luxury, which other managers haven't. Yeah, I do wonder all the time, we talk about MLS, and, you know, obviously it was important for this country in the development of players to have a thriving domestic league. What we have come to find out over the last 10 to 15 years or so is that it has been equally or more important for the rest of CONCACAF. You know, MLS has become a very important league for this entire part of the world, Canada, Central America. Well, uh, whatever you may think of the league and and the standard of the league and the watchability of the league and all those things, it is a professional league of a good level in which these players can come and be paid and play professionally in professional surroundings with very, very good facilities in most right. cases. That is huge, and that raises the level for everyone. It's raised the level for, for U.S. players in the academies that then go abroad to Europe. But that's we- the thing, is that for the U.S. realized that they had been caught up to by many of these other countries, or at least the gap had, had really narrowed, and MLS, I think, had a lot to do with that. So was I that, think It was in a the soccer last, Trojan horse. So in the last, <laughs> Yeah. So in the last several years, I think they've really understood, from a national team perspective, okay, to, to rebuild that buffer zone between us and our competition— these guys, we've got to get guys playing at big clubs in Europe. And the technical development of Brendan Aronson, Gio Reyna, uh, well, um, Gio Reyna mostly happened in Germany, but Brendan Aronson at, at, at the Union, the Uni, Union Academy, those those things you can't, uh, you know, FC Dallas as well, look at the players. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you can't underestimate the importance of that. And we sent off our players and they've come back as almost, if not fully formed, professionals. And they have been integrated into the U.S. squad, and the team is is better for it, with the caveats that we've already had, where it is still not something that we've cracked, this old CONCACAF qualifying. We don't have it down pat yet. Here's my other question, in terms of what has changed from that night to tonight. Um, how many times would you say, in the, the days following... The law, the loss to Trinidad in 2017. We played this sound effect, right? The whole idea of that was whenever we found ourselves being arrogant, yeah, our- we shocked ourselves. We had to check ourselves back. We had to stop being arrogant. That was the that word was probably uttered more in the weeks following that loss than any other word. Arrogance, American arrogance. Who do we think we are? Has that changed? I don't think it has. No, I don't think it has. And I think tonight is evidence of that, that the U.S. just qualified for a World Cup and people are disappointed because it didn't look as pretty as they wanted it to. That's arrogance. They're, like, I'm sorry, people could say all they want, we're humble now, we were humbled, we're not as arrogant as we were. It's still in us to feel that way. Whatever it is that happened at the last qualifying cycle, that humbling didn't only lasted so far. Now this team is out here filled with players who are thriving in Europe, and we believe we should be kicking everybody's ass, and it should be beautiful. It should be four nils against everyone when it's Mexico, okay, Dosa Cero will do. Like, that's still the feeling, I think, among a lot of fans in this country. So I would contend for all of the hand-wringing that we're too arrogant that went on four and a half years ago, that dissipated fast. The arrogance is still, to me, what it was that the day before that game happened. And, you know, we're going to get called arrogant by other people who are listen to the podcast listeners who are not American just based on the fact 
of your accent. You do realize that, though, as well. There is a general perception that we, we also, I think it was Michael Goodman tweeted, we also in this country, and, and I'm not sure that this is quite arrogance, but there's a, a view of sport, right? Where dominance is celebrated mm-hmm. to a to a level like I don't think you have the real existential you know debates that we have uh, back in in Ireland and the UK about oh, Manchester City you know they've won X amount of titles in the last X amount of years is this good for the game I don't think that happens <laughs> when the Bulls are dominating or when the Lakers were dominating like the Yankees dominating there is a love and an expectance of a good team to be a dominant team in U.S. sports. And that has transposed itself into the soccer fandom, into the soccer ether. They've People have unwittingly brought that with them. And I don't think that's possible, certainly not in international football. So I don't know if that's arrogance rather... And certainly not in a country whose domestic league is barely old enough to drink. You know, MLS is not MLS is a baby in comparison with other soccer leagues around this country. It's not. This is not a traditional soccer nation. Yeah, I know that. You know, there there's a history. The U.S. Open Cup dates back generations upon generations, and the U.S. beat England in a World Cup. Like, I understand all that, but let's be honest. It's it's not ingrained in the history. It's starting to be, and and this new up and coming generation. I, it is, but I I think um, I wouldn't. You know, as important as we talked about MLS being uh, being a place for other uh, CONCACAF nations to to send their top pros, and as a place for us to create pros that we send to Europe, you know, I I think that the the league is fledgling. In like you said, it's barely old enough to uh, enough to drink. But I, or I don't rent a car. I should say. or rent a car. Yeah, yeah. but I I, st- <laughs> I still think you know that we can. We can produce players and and have a soccer culture in this without them, and we and we do, and we do without just, without the league being at at that level. But I, I'm just saying for the people who expect us to dominate, like it's still growing pains are still a part of this. And I don't I don't know if domination in international football is something you can really see anymore. It's maybe we will see it again, but it, it feels as if it's not the level it used to be, and things have kind of people have all leveled off a bit yeah it feels like that anyway certainly in international tournaments it feels like it's anyone could win it so the other question that comes along with all this is the question of expectations you know we're talking about arrogance and and humbleness and you know the changeover of team it's going to be a new era and it is they again they qualified come this fall you can however you're feeling tonight come november you're gonna be sitting down in front of a fireplace, you're going to turn on your TV, and you're going to be psyched as hell to watch the U.S. play in a World it's Cup. It's so weird. Come November. Snowflakes <laughs> will be falling, and a World Cup will be happening. I heard Gareth Southgate speaking uh, the other uh, yesterday, and he said, um, you know, we're not going to achieve anything in the summer if they were talking about the booing of Maguire. We're not going to achieve anything in the summer with that kind of attitude. I'm like, no, you're not going to no, achieve anything in the will. summer. <laughs> but, the, but with all that being said... The question that I have is about expectations for this team, and if people, if if the tenor that we're getting from people is how the vast majority feel, it's hard to tell from Twitter. I don't know if that's always a fair gauge, but it, I, I, but, it, I, but I'm not just looking at Twitter. I'm looking at Clint Dempsey, you know, I, I my own self, how I'm feeling right now about this campaign coming to an end. It's not just Twitter. Looking at all this, do we expect too much too soon from the youngest 
qualification group in American history? Uh, too much too soon. I don't know. I really don't know how to answer that one because I don't. I don't like to baby them or you know kind of infantilize them and say, oh, you know, it's a, look at that team. It's amazing we did what we did with all these young fellas. Well, no you one know? is saying that it's amazing that we did what we. No one. No, I'm not looking at this and expecting anyone to say. You know why all the negativity? What they just achieved was this was incredible. This was overcoming the. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying the fact that they qualified, however it looked, should that have just been viewed as good enough? It's a young team. The vast majority of these guys have never been through this process before. Like you said, the qualification cycle was different in that games were stacked upon on top yeah, of other games. Guys, a lot of these guys flying across the sea from Europe to take part in this, you know, that's added stress that maybe some of the other countries in CONCACAF didn't necessarily have with their players. You know, so they did it. Like for, it was their first time going through this process and they and they achieved the objective. Should that have been enough? I, I think that is enough, though, ultimately. Not for a lot of people. I know, it won't. It... They, style points mattered here. It did. You, we can deny that all we want. For a lot of people, the way, not just yeah. winning, the way we looked winning meant a lot. Yeah, and how many games did we come out of where, especially the away games, you know, away at Jamaica, and you thought, that was a rough enough performance. We had a lot of podcasts that started with, meh. Yeah, and there was a lot of games, like the Panama game was a real, I mean, the worry after that game was was pretty real. And I told you, I, I've only really got that one performance to hang my hat on, and that was Mexico at home and against, excuse me, in Columbus. I thought that night that was a, that was a very good performance. Oh wow! The celebration is really raging right now for the U.S. Jenny Chu. We still have the post game on Jenny. She's just put on her qualified shirt for the U.S. Yes. Um, she, so. and she's interviewing players as they come out. Um, some of them are drier than others. Tyler Adams seemed quite dry, whereas uh, Yedlin seemed to be drenched in some kind of liquid. In terms of, I wonder if there's going to be people who are, are going to have a problem with seeing this. No. And it, I, mean, I think it, it was um, Rick DiPietro, who works here at ESPN New York and a former goalie for the New York Islanders. I think it was him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher the quote. I wish I had it in front of me. But he, he once said something to the effect of the importance of, of even if to other people what you're celebrating doesn't feel like it warrants celebration, any kind of major milestone victory needs to be celebrated because it actually trains your mind in a competitive manner to keep like keep trying to attain goals. Yeah, to you know to keep you like seeking out goals, and when you achieve them, you have to celebrate them, and it like it trains your mind to continue to want to do that. But like. Also, the bare fact, the bald facts of it right now is that they, this group has qualified for a World Cup. Yeah, they're not going to celebrate that. No, they're uh, also right. Right. What are we even talking about? That that would be a question. It, if people have a problem with that, then they need to reassess themselves. They're young professional footballers who, as much as you think they have an idyllic life, and they really do. It's not like they're going down a mine every morning, but they don't get to celebrate much. <laughs> particularly not in season. They, this is a legitimate time to blow off some steam. The camaraderie will be brilliant. Yeah, They'll have a few drinks. It's interesting you mentioned Rick DiPietro. Jurgen Klopp had organized a after the 2018, sorry, excuse me, the 2016 uh, UEFA Cup final, Europa League final. Mm. And he'd organized a banquet afterwards, or not a banquet, a party afterwards, win or lose. And, after they lost, everyone was in the room and they weren't sure what to do. And Klopp got up and said, 
See this feeling. I want you to harness this feeling, remember it, so we can go out and achieve. This is where it begins. It starts here, right? And then they he, they all had a party and they all got drunk and they all enjoyed themselves. Yeah, That's the same thing tonight. This is the first tangible achievement of this young group outside of the, the two cups. And, but this is obviously means more because it's the big one, the World Cup. This will be a galvanizing night, no doubt. Someone will end up in a dumpster in, in Costa Rica with a hangover. And that <laughs> isn't always a bad thing. Um, JJ, we've also, we're going to get into some of the uh, the other specifics about this team. Players, are who has our opinion changed of for the better, for the worse? We'll go through some of that. Uh, but I have also, with, with your help, the two of us have gone through qualifying and, and picked out our top five moments from qualifying, you want to do the? Should we do the first two here? We'll sprinkle in the rest throughout the, the rest of the podcast. So we're starting. We're starting at starting five. at five. Yeah, this was a vital moment in that game that I keep banging on about the 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 best bear halter performance I've seen in qualifying. This was at home to Mexico, Columbus. It's nil nil. It's the 18th minute, and Mexico are in on goal, and Zach Steffen produces a big save to deny. I believe it was Chucky Lozano. Yeah, and Lozano. Big moment in that game. Cut straight through the middle of us with really incisive passing. The only time you you thought you saw Tata ball under Mexico, really. And uh, straight down the centre, big, big save. And then straight after, Tecatito has a chance at the far post where he does not connect, but he should. Player of his class. It's nil-nil. And the rest is history. The US go on and uh, settle into that game. And that's a vital three points. We'll do number four while we're here, and then we'll uh, then we'll get to the other ones later. This is number four, JJ. Coming inside on his left foot to unleash an absolute thunder bastard. Uh, Serginho Dest against Costa Rica at home. Costa Rica had a chance to regroup, but here's Dest! Oh! Just like his first goal for the US. Back against Jamaica earlier in the year. It's another thunderbolt from Serginio Dest. And at long, long last, the United States have discovered how to score a first-half goal. That goal was hugely necessary. Remember, Costa Rica had scored in the first minute. In the first seconds of that game, they went up 1-0. They went up 1-0, and there was just this weird, uncomfortable feeling kind of settling over the U.S. and much of the qualifying campaign. that ignited them. They got one more to to get the three points from that and exercise at least some of the demons from when Costa Rica had beaten the U.S. in the last qualifying cycle. Imagine having a player of that ability as a fullback and a player who plays really as a an attacker. Uh, it's, it's just, we talked about being able to... It, that's another thing that we should really... A, a marker in the development of this team was his decision to declare for the United States. Yeah, that was a huge moment, certainly. Um, so, in looking back on this qualifying campaign, biggest takeaways. Uh, I'm going to start with, I think, what my biggest one would be. Um, and it's not it's not a super positive one. When this all started back in September, we, I mean, we could go back and find the audio from podcasts that we did in setting all this up. We talked about the greatest concern possibly being the fact that arguably the most important position in the game, a, a true number nine, a goal scorer, whatever you want to call it, a, a striker, central forward. We didn't know who that was. 
and we were hoping that by the time we got to where we are here tonight, we would have identified one. We still have not. We do not know who that person is going to be. At, at different points during the course of this last several months, we thought it was different guys. It was Daryl DK, and then it was Ricardo Pepe. All throughout, there was the Josh Sargent crowd. P-Fuck. P-Fuck. That, I was banging that drum over the course of the last several weeks, certainly. But ultimately, we don't know. We still don't know. And I don't know. Look, a lot can change in several months. We know that for sure. But, like, how much are things going to really change at that position where from where we are right now to when the World Cup actually starts in late November, we're going to feel truly comfortable about the guy playing that position? I think this is just a reality they're going to have to deal with, and they're going to have to find other ways to score goals. Yeah, and it's an acknowledgement maybe in the way that they set up that they have that kind of that front three that is not, like— it's not a total setup. Like, we don't have a number nine down the middle. It's interchangeable. We have guys who come in. Maybe that's just the, the nature of the team. I'm not saying we're copying Man City, but <laughs> Man City have found a way to get by without a central, a center for, a true out-and-out centre-forward. So it can it can be done. There are, there are examples. Again, I'm not comparing us to Manchester City. Um, for me, Andrew, it was the centre-back position where... Uh, I suppose I was wrong. I expected it was Brooks plus one. And then I became more and more frustrated with his performances. So did Greg Berhalter. And he was kind of a mutual exiling from the squad is the best way to put it. I think they, they sat down and said that it's not the best time for him to come in. The fact that he is not there tonight mm-hmm. is kind of, it's it's telling. And and uh, Walker Zimmerman has come in with Miles Robinson. And you had a crazy stat, which I haven't written down about their partnership. So tonight was the ninth game that they have played alongside one another at center back. Tonight was also the first time the U.S. has lost when those two have been the center back. That's Seven wins, one loss, one draw. I think that's pretty impressive. And they have been... Im- and they've been a big part of it. Yeah. I, I, they are... They're doing... I, I, I mean, tonight, I, I have to catch myself up. Tonight, Zimmerman was not good on the headed goal, on the first goal. Mm-hmm. Um Static zonal, I think, is what he was doing, and um, they were the Costa Rican attacker was able to get a jump on him and and actually jump behind him, uh, so that wasn't great. But Zimmerman and Robinson have a and on the second goal, by the way, we could say that it was odd that Miles Robinson ducked I, on the ball that was played in. I'm not sure what yeah. what happened there. If he just misjudged the flight of it, basically I don't know. destroying everything I'm saying right now. But but, but no, let's you know again, I mean. we're like, trying not to look at just tonight. We're trying to look at the whole thing, I, and they've been they've been rocks at the back and for the, the most part. To take the long view with them, they have they have made those positions their own, and mm-hmm. I didn't see it coming. To be honest with no, you, no. I mean, think back, JJ. It was who were the people that. that so John Brooks was he was one of the first names on the team sheet, and then the question was, okay, well, who's going to be alongside him? It was never Walker Zimmerman, it was never Miles Robinson, it was Chris Richards, it was Mark McKenzie, it was Matt Miazga. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that Chris Richards, McKenzie, these are guys that still have futures with the U.S., but you know, somebody's going to have to take the job away from those two, and it's it's not going to be easy to do. And you have say someone like Cameron Carter Vickers playing at Tottenham or, excuse me, playing at Celtic, as well as he's playing, hasn't got a look in. No. These guys have kind of cemented that position for themselves. Yeah. Um, other big takeaways and kind of big stories to come out of all this. Um, I did want to mention, in kind of going back to the U.S.'s problems scoring goals because they don't necessarily have that true striker up front who, who can be relied upon, uh, look at Canada. 
Like, I, I believe Canada, look, they're good from back to front. There's no question about that. But the fact that they have a Laren and a David up front to just, I mean, Kyle Laren ended qualifying with 14 goals. I think it was 14, 14 goals, games. yeah. And Jonathan David was second in, Con- in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying with nine goals, I believe. Uh, Alfonso Davies, who didn't even play for the latter half of this, had five goals. Um, who was a Cavallini? I think, had five goals as well, whereas the U.S.'s leading goal scorer was Christian Pulisic with five. And three of those came in one game. And second for the U.S. was Ricardo Pepe with three. And two of those came in one game. So, like, reliable goal scorer at that position. It's, it's, you can't underestimate the importance of that. I, I will always believe that it's the most important position in this sport. So, and, and Canada showed how important it is. The U.S., you know, they got through, but... Sometimes they had to struggle to do so. It was hard for it was harder for them to score. They had to rely upon guys like Anthony Robinson and Serginio Dest providing offense from the fullback positions. Um, so, you know, just goes tip of the cap to to Canada and what they were able to uh, to achieve here. Um, another huge story to come out of this the the entire roller coaster ride that was Weston McKinney. Um, his you know whatever it was that happened. Where was it in Nashville? Yeah. His banishment from the team, you know, people saying should he be allowed back, which, by the way, in the moment was a ridiculous stance for people to take. But it was something, especially we, when no one really knew what happened uh, for it, the longest it, it, time. It was absurd, and and we all we felt like the punishment w- it fit the crime mm. without us necessarily knowing exactly what the crime was. We got the sense that it fit. It, it was they handled it the right way, um, and then the question was, okay, well, he'll be welcomed back into the squad, but how will he respond? Which which path is he going to go down? When it was all said and done, you can make a case he was their best player through qualifying, and that his injury was the one that really had us frightened heading into this this final window. Um, so that's you know he's been playing the best soccer of his life at Juventus, and it was translating to the U.S. as well. And uh, from where we were that night after that incident, that's really really important. Um, anything else from you for for big takeaways or? Stories from out of qualifying? Uh, I would just say in terms of takeaways, I think in terms of his passing, in terms of his commitment, in terms of just his general performance, albeit that night um, in Panama, I believe, where I don't think anyone covered themselves in glory, but you know, I, I've probably been wrong about Kellen Acosta. Mm. I think he's a genuine option in there. Probably not a starter, but at the same time, it's not written in stone that it's going to be you know, Adams, Musa, or Adams, McKinney, Musa, you know, that three. De La Torre. De La Torre as well, someone else who came in. I think Anthony Robinson as well has impressed me throughout this uh, qualifying campaign. I think he's been really assured. Uh, again, caveats tonight probably wasn't his best game, but at the same yeah. time, his ability to carry a threat, to get forward, gives balance left and right. When we have our two wingbacks there, we, we look a real team. Um, yeah. Those those will be mine. Yeah, the guys. I had three names for who my opinion has changed the most on from the beginning to where we are now, for both the better and the worse. John Brooks was the first one, just because I'm just I never envisioned this where he couldn't even get on the team. Yeah, um, we'll see where this goes. I'm so curious. I still you still think I, I haven't you, ruled him out. You have to feel he'll be brought, don't you? I don't know. Like he's not gonna, he's not a starter anymore. But no. 
Inj- we'll see what happens with it's injuries. Such... It's hard to project. As we sit here tonight, no, he's not on the team. But a lot can change, and there's going to be a loud segment of the fan base calling for him. Um, and by the way, his his response was really professional and mature. I thought to not being included. Um, yeah, it, but he that's what he it, said. He took it as a challenge. It was, it was not. He did not take it as like as a moment to give up. He kind of took it as like my my American identity is being called into question here, and I need to to prove myself. And I, so I also I also think it was. You know, it was. It seemed like a series of conversations rather than a text message or an email. You've been dropped. There, there seemed to be a back and forth about it, um, and he admitted he needed to find his form. Or yeah. It remains to be seen whether whether he will be a part of of things in uh, in the summer. Yeah, not the summer. Uh, not the summer. Uh, and the other two names, I won't say much because you've touched on them. But uh, Brendan Aronson always knew he was good. Didn't know he was this special, this important. Um, I mean, how would you? He has hardly a, a massive body of work to dip into. He, he probably now has, considering the amount of club games he's played, but he's a young player. Mm-hmm. And he's taken his chance. And again, another option. Headaches for the, not headaches for the manager. That's the classic cliche. Oh, he's giving the manager a headache. No, this is great options to have um, in, in the attack. And there's there's lots of young creative players that can come in and, and do a job for this team. And who knows, leading up to the World Cup, he might be playing for Leeds. And we'll see how that affects his development back with Jesse Marsh. Quite tiring, I would imagine. And then the last one, like you said, Anthony Robinson made himself just unquestionably the left back moving forward for this team. There's just like not even, it's it's a position of no discussion whatsoever. And that I don't think was the case when this started. No, I agree with you. Will we be calling him Jedi? I'm. I feel like I've got to be friends with him to do that. Yeah. And as much as I might like to be, I don't know him. I've never met him. I've never spoken to him. I mean, so you I, never I feel met like or, to me. He's Anthony. You never met or spoke to Graham Zusi yet. He became the Zeus dog. Yeah, I got no explanation for that. I'm sorry. While we're talking about Anthony Robinson, JJ, let's go to our number three moment from this qualifying campaign. It was a uh, qualifying was was off to a bad start. The back to back draws in games where the U.S. thought. At least the U.S. fan base thought they should be winning. You know, neither of them were Costa Rica or Mexico, uh, so it was it was a, a, an ugly start. And the pinnacle of the ugliness was the third game from that window in Honduras, oh, when the U.S. first then went down a goal, one to nil. And there was sort of this "what the hell is going on here" feeling starting to settle over this. All the good feelings from the Gold Cup were being wiped away. Uh, a lot of negativity was starting to settle in during that halftime. Reading tweets at halftime of that Honduras match, it was. It was an ugly, ugly, ugly place. Uh, but coming out right at the start of the second half, Anthony Robinson changed the tone. Here's our number three moment from qualifying. Legit. Plenty of targets in the box. Lovely delivery for Pepe left behind. Robinson! It's an instant response straight out of the halftime break. Anthony Robinson with the equalizing goal for the Americans. They added three more, won that one 4 one And... And and walked away from that window with five points. Big sigh of relief. Yeah, big sigh of relief. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, let's go ahead. Let's take a break. Couple other U.S. things. We'll we'll wrap up our countdown. We've got the top two obviously still to come. And JJ, I have a little not a surprise, but I did go back. I thought because of of the importance of tonight, you know, the U.S. are going to the bleeping World Cup. It's great, and so I feel like we really need to 
put 2017's disaster to bed. So I did go back to that podcast and I found a couple clips that are just kind of like funny to go back and listen to now. I'm excited to hear these again. Okay. I'll, I'll probably be embarrassed by the end of it though. <laughs> I, I tried to get Trinidadian, Trinidadian beer today so we could just like sip uh, the tears of the vanquished. That doesn't make sense. So to to kind of circle things around, if if we if we drank Trinidadian beer and just said good night to to that whole episode, but this will this will do. I fine. mean, remember, I don't have this this clip, but remember, I after that loss, I made my list of those those who have wronged us <laughs> that I wanted to seek revenge um, against. Yeah, have you forgiven the nation of Panama and its people? Uh, I think probably. Um, it, well, my <laughs> That's anger. Too long of a pause. My anger that night was, um, oh man, it was. I was furious with Mexico. Jack Warner was on Jack that list. Jack Warner was on the list. Mexico was on, on the on list because we had done them the favor the last time around and they couldn't help us this time. Um, I don't think Panama was on the list. I didn't blame them for no, trying maybe, to win. I was not. mad at Mexico for not helping us out the way we had helped them out. Yeah, Jack Warner for the joy he was taking. Jack in, War- in our failure. Jack Warner more concerned with uh, being on Andrew's list rather than any criminal indictments. Um, oh, I've got to go back and find it. I know there were others. There was a referee. The referee from one of the games was on the list for the phantom goal. Yeah. There, oh God, yeah, what a you also, ugly side of me. Yeah, you also. I I looked at the list because it it grew over the coming months. I, you you had some weird. You had celebrities down there. I think you were mad with Sting for some reason. Okay, we're good now. Don't worry. It's all good. Let's go ahead. We'll take a break. Uh, a couple other things going on around the world. Obviously, Portugal qualified. Harry Maguire getting booed. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll play this stuff from that night in, in against Trinidad and, and the top two in our qualifying campaign. Still more caught offside to come on a joyous, joyous night in the United States of America. Don't go away. Back now on Caught Offside. All right, JJ. So here is how... The show began uh, October 10th, 2017. This is, this is, so, this is the ha- first 30 seconds of the show. I haven't listened since then. So. I mean, it's not, we're not weeping. Like, whatever you're expecting, it's probably not as bad as you think. But okay. it's just it's just funny on a night of happiness, because we're going to a World Cup, it's just funny to listen to the worst night of our lives as soccer fans. Here, here's the start of that show. Ah. Uh. We've done a lot of these podcasts. We have. This is the one that I didn't... Literally, if you and I were doing this show from now until the end of time, (laughs) like, I'm not even trying to be overly dramatic. Uh, Like, I truly thought that this podcast that we're about to do would never happen. Like, honestly. Oh, it happened. Oh, it happened. Arrogance. You arrogant boy you were five years ago. Ugh. Yeah, wow. I I, I will never forget you just... It, it was almost like you, you stared at the monitor hitting refresh for a good 20 minutes, like in, in, in silence, and you were very pale. Like, no, <laughs> oh, relax. Much, you were much paler than usually. And I was like, should I poke him and say, hey, buddy, you want to record a podcast? Uh, you were just kind of out of it, and I was, I was kind of shocked. But of course, me being selfish, as everyone knows, I am, and thinking only about myself. I thought, what does this mean for the podcast? Uh, don't don't get me wrong. That thought crossed my mind too. Yeah. Will we even get to the World Cup? 
Or are we to be ba- are we to be banished into the toilet <laughs> <laughs> with everything else? You know what's sad though that I kind of think about listening to that, yeah, and and thinking about where we are tonight, the the jeopardy of Concacaf World Cup qualifying kind of ended tonight in yeah, some respects. It, did. it really did. So it, well, if everything goes to plan, you you should explain. Because- well, so okay, four years from now, when. Canada, the U.S., and Mexico are hosting, the belief is that those three countries will qualify automatically. So there will be literally no jeopardy of World Cup qualifying. There will be no drama to it. And then when qualifying occurs eight years from now, the belief is that it, or it's going to be 48, a 48-team World Cup. And, and again, this is a moment where I need this. But not really. But like... It's going to be a forgiving qualifying. It's... Yeah, like for however unrealistic we thought the possibility of not qualifying under this format was, rightly or wrongly, uh, what are we going to think when even more CONCACAF teams are allowed into the World Cup? Which is good for the region, but in terms of the drama, you know, uh, of those nights at the Azteca or, you know, facing Costa Rica and San Jose and the frustration of not winning there when we think we need to somehow find a way to get points, like that. The drama of a lot of it is is going to be wiped away. The punishment for bad results may not be as strong. If it depends how it's all formatted, but you know the the simple math is lots more teams are going to go like like loads of teams. Like you're going to have to be bad not to get to the World Cup. This is not a good thing for the U.S. soccer fan. We love. We have an obsession in this country. You've seen it now. You've been here long enough. There's an obsession that soccer fans in this country have with the U.S. men's national team, and playing fewer games of consequence is not a good thing. No, it it's gonna. It's definitely going to hurt it. It it a hundred percent. There's got to be something else. I am not sitting here coming out in favor of Arsene Wenger's biennial World Cup. Okay, I'm not saying that, but. If we're reducing the importance of what right now, other than the World Cup, is our most important thing, which is World Cup qualifying, you've reduced the importance of that. You know, the Gold Cup, I don't know what U.S. soccer thinks of it. In Gold Cups where I feel like it should be important, they're sending B squads. They're afraid that if they ask guys to come over from Europe to play in it, their clubs are going to get angry and they're not going to be able to get off the bench. So I don't know what the Gold Cup is right now. There's not enough important... U.S. soccer happening in this country moving forward. So there's there's got to be some other way. I would almost like, you know, like the 2009 Confederations Cup, for the rest of the world, I don't know what they thought of it. Here in the U.S., it's a really, really fond memory for a lot of soccer fans, myself included. I'll never forget the U.S. 2-0 win against Spain or going up 2-0 against Brazil in the final or the comeback in the group stage even to get uh, the opportunity to advance in that tournament. That was really, really fun. You know, I'd be fine if we returned to some system of a gold cup that was viewed as the important gold cup that fed into some kind of Confederations Cup, some kind of other tournament. There's, We need something else. There's not enough important U.S. soccer, and I don't need more CONCACAF Nations League. Right. I don't need more games against well, Cuba. You know, Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I, wanted, Is, I would like us to be tested against other really... I'm an idiot. Is there a way to coordinate that you would have a summer where you'd have the Gold Cup and you would go full bore for that Gold Cup? That would be, you wouldn't be sending a, a B teams, none of that stuff. Figure out that you get an A squad in. So maybe pull it forward a bit, play it earlier. 
There's got. I mean, look, and there they, was always a way in the past. Right. There was always the the one gold cup that no one cared about, and then two years later, the gold cup that everyone cared about, and that was how it went. Right. Well, so have a gold cup that everyone cares about, and then is it because they often happen in the same summer? But is there a way to not have the Copa America in the same summer as it, and then have a team, have a U.S. team, figure it out? Money talks. South American associations would be happy to take some Yankee dollars and get in and get inserted into that competition and play in that competition as well. That yeah, that would be would be something. That would be the way to get round it. That would be the way to get round There's it. There's got to be smarter people out there than you and me that can figure this out because nah. it's just there's not an there's already not enough of it and it's only going to get less moving forward which is worrisome this is the most this this team we love this team they're young we want to see them as much as possible and it's it's not going to be as much as you want there's someone texting right now and they're texting us they're tweeting us rather what about a wild card entry into the UEFA European Champions <laughs> I don't. It doesn't feels weird, and I don't think that's your America. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do you want one more clip, JJ, from that night? Go on. Okay, I have one more here. Uh, from... Is this a sad one? I mean, it was all. Uh, none sad. of them are happy. No. Okay. Um, I actually don't remember what this one is, but yeah, this is again from the uh, the post Trinidad disaster podcast. Here, here you go. The thought of them even. You know, getting to the fourth spot as the playoff spot was like was ridiculous to me. Uh, that to, was that was seen as a mini disaster, right? To think that we're sitting here right now, and like we still have being sports on, and like uh, Carlos Bacanegra <laughs> and Jonathan, Sp- they, like I can't even believe what I'm seeing. Like I can't believe what, <laughs> like what just. I, it's surreal. Just to lift the curtain a little bit, you and I sat there for twenty minutes in utter silence. Me and you have been friends since 2014 and you've never, ever had to suffer me in silence. It's always been suffering me, blathering on. I never shut up, but I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. <sighs> Thank God we can put that to bed. <laughs> By the way, Bocanegra and, and Spectre. Yeah. <laughs> and that being sport set. <laughs> Looking crestfallen, yeah, yeah. totally just in a in a day they were just oh, man. wandering I've around. I've never seen and... Jonathan Spector do TV since. No, I think that was that was everyone. Everyone was at fault that night. Even guys on television were blamed. Holy no one could work again after that night. Somehow we survived oh. it. We're like the rats <laughs> in a nu- in a nuclear winter. We have survived. Oh, thank God! It is just a thing of the past. Well. That we- only have to think we about have, a lot of the time instead of all the time. <laughs> we have cleansed some of that tonight. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Before we get to some of the other things, JJ, going on in uh, around the world and other nations that have qualified, let's do number two and number one on the top five moments from the qualifying campaign. Uh, number two, JJ, you want to take us to this one? Christian Pulisic v- uh, versus Mexico. Uh, yeah. What was his celebration that he had? So days earlier... Uh, Oh, the man in the mirror, wasn't right. it? Right. The comment was made that uh, the U.S. Who was it that said it? Ochoa. Guillermo Ochoa. Yes. The Mexican goalkeeper had said that uh, we are what the U.S. want to see when they look in the mirror. Mm. And If that's a rear view mirror. And ooh. that was 
well, yeah, they wound up finishing ahead of us and qualifying but in, you know what in, I mean. in a cycle that they were supposed to be not a massive disappointment. All right, but don't stand on rate, everything. But, but at any rate, um, yeah, so that was the comment that was made. It was not lost on anyone. We talked about it. It, it made news, and clearly it was not lost on the U.S. Uh, Pulisic scores the goal and then lifts up the shirt to reveal man in the mirror. Uh, here is that goal. Uh, John Champion on the call. This is Weyer for the U.S. And Weyer does well! Very well! Christian Pulisic on the pitch for a matter of moments with that innate and perfect sense of timing. I'm looking at Guillermo Ochoa. I can't remember what the rest of that was. <laughs> i got to get the lyrics back together. Uh, and while we're here, we'll do number one right now. J.J. was just the other night. This was the one that sealed the game pretty much in, in all of our minds, sealed the qualification campaign, and it was kind of the crowning moment for Christian Pulisic's time so far with the U.S., his first hat-trick, and it couldn't have come in a bigger spot. Here it is, John Strong on the call, U.S. and Panama. Robinson will hook that cross in, Pulisic! Oh, lovely hat-trick! What a night! Maybe his best goal since uh, putting on the Stars and Stripes. Ah, and the moment where we could all breathe. And I think he fired back at people on Instagram, as his as is his wont, uh, saying that. And some people uh, thought I didn't mean the first touch. <laughs> he said that? Yeah. Oh, right at you. Yeah. He said it right to you. Oh, good for you, Christian. Oh, there's a uh, picture being posted by the USMNT account. Estadio Nacional, Nacional de Costa Rica, and it's Tyler Adams pouring a Budweiser over his face. Nice. Which is where all Budweisers should go. <laughs> uh, let's see. A couple other things before we get out here. JJ, Portugal, they get the job done. They do what Italy could not, and that is beat North Macedonia. They are yeah. going to the World Cup. They are. They're going to go to the World Cup. Uh, they'll be amongst the favorites. And... Um, it's hard not to have the feeling with this team that they'll do just exactly what they do all the time, except for 2016 in the European Championships, and they'll be disappointing despite the squad they have. And I think that's still down to the fact that Fernando Santos is still the manager. They just, I don't know, they they don't do it for me, Andrew. They, it's weird. They're so loaded with talent. We viewed them as one of the favorites when qualifying began. They, they took the scenic route, but they got there. Now that they're in, do we automatically go back to viewing them as one of the favorites? I don't know that I do. I don't, I don't know either. There's only so much you can watch a team and think they're absolutely loaded and then watch them kind of come up short. Now the argument you can make is that in the round of 16 in Euro 2020, they should have beaten Belgium. I mean, they had, what was it, something 23 shots or something? Um yeah, I don't know. I'm just not convinced by them. It, uh, and it's nothing to do with the players they have. It's the just the way they set up and the way they play. It's I expect more. But we'll see. I'll be eating humble pie, no doubt. <laughs> humble pie after Christmas cake in December. Uh, Poland get through. They beat Sweden. So this World Cup will include Robert Lewandowski. That is a good thing. Arguably the best goal scorer in the world right now. It's good to have him in the World Cup. So I, I'm, I was, you know, no offense to Sweden. There's, uh, it's a country and a team that I like as well. But I, I want, I just want to see Lewandowski on this stage. He's getting, you know, what is he, 33 years old? Yeah. So 
there's maybe a chance that he could be a one more, but my guess is this is probably his last shot at you know at it with Poland. So I'm I'm happy for him. I'm happy to see it. Um, I love your uh, no offense to Sweden. Just make sure I don't want to hurt any feelings. No, you, I'm not here to hurt feelings. Okay, especially not all the Swedes that listen. Uh, now, conversely, JJ, who do you think are some of the players that we'll miss the most um, from this World Cup? I mean, Mo Salah. Yeah. But the consensus, and I don't watch enough of them, but the games I have seen is that it's great not to have Carlos Queiroz and <laughs> Egypt at the World Cup. That they are dull, 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 and it's you know it's no it's no loss to the championships not to have him. But Mo Salah would feel differently, and to go out in the fashion that he did yet again to Senegal mm. after the African Cup of Nations, yet again in the uh, in just the dagger put through his heart by his teammate who converted the the winner. Mane. Yeah. yeah but uh, lasers in the face didn't didn't really see that one coming. The entirety of the stadium shining lasers throughout. I've never seen anything like that. Throughout the game uh, and throughout the penalty kicks in the faces of the Egyptian players. His body was aglow. Yes. His face was... He was like when David Banner turns <laughs> into the Incredible Hulk. And look, I've never had really even one laser pointer shine in my face, let alone 15. I, so I don't know if he even could tell that that was happening, if it looked worse on television than it did Don't know, and him. I haven't seen any sure. quotes. He wasn't, I don't recall seeing him at any point squinting or trying to like put his hand over his eyes. Or saying anything to the ref either. Right. So my guess is either he was in such deep focus he was trying as best he could to ignore it, or he genuinely didn't know it was happening. Um, I don't know. It wasn't a good look. I'll say that. Um, um, Egypt have lodged a complaint against Tuesday's World Cup qualifier opponent, Senegal, alleging their team were subjected to ra- racist and offensive banners, particularly winger Mohamed Salah. So that's a another wrinkle to it. Will, uh, I will say... Sorry, go on. I was going to ask you, will there be awkwardness with, between him and Mane, you think? Or is that, do no. you kind of leave leave work at work, as they say? Yeah, I don't think so. It, certainly Salah doesn't seem like that character. Um, if it was the other way around, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, considering that the whole um, little incident at Burnley there a couple of seasons ago. No, I, I don't think there will be. Uh, what was weird about Salah's penalty was like, it was... He absolutely blasted it. So, you know, I can't tell how much of an effect, like you said, the lasers actually had. I'm sure they had some effect. I'm sure it's got to be re- I don't know. annoying. Um, but his penalty was unsala like not just in the fact that he didn't convert, but his run-up towards the ball was seemed a lot straighter than he... You know, he usually does that little curvy run, um, and it was much more of a straight run, and he just leathered it over the bar. Yeah. Um, there were some terrible penalties again in in that, and um, Mane's was one of the more composed ones. But it's sad for him. Um, do you want some more players? I'm going to be sad about not being there. Andrew? Well, Erling Holland comes to mind. Yeah, but I, I mean, they weren't within they weren't within shouting distance of being there. Really. All right? Is he going to the World Cup? No. Well, that was the question. Right. <laughs> yeah, Holland is one for me. But you know, I think it was the Turkey game early on in qualifying, and I saw how much better. Turkey were as a unit rather than Norway, who we thought, oh, we're getting excited about Norway, you know, Ordegaard, Haaland. Right. No, they are. They seem to be a ways off. So that that's uh, certainly disappointing. Federico Chiesa, 
um, who I, th- I mean, there's a whole bunch of names that we could mention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from, from that one I, team. I think him in particular. Um, yeah, because I, I, I think he he carried the buzz over from Euro 2020, and um, I, the World Cup would have just meant that it would have cemented his name as Federico Chiesa and not Enrico Chiesa. I, 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 I keep calling him after his dad, but he's one of those. The entire nation of Italy. I think we have to do an in the club on Italy. I agree. Ho- I wholly agree. I have to get to the heart of the Italian psyche right now. What are they feeling? How are they feeling? And why did this happen? This is the same team that just won the Euros a minute ago. Yeah. This, like, it just simply, I know Chiesa was hurt, but how do you, I'm just, I have such a hard time reconciling those two things because it can't, it just can't mean that they weren't good enough. Like, I no. just don't understand that. But then I, I, I want to acknowledge that they, there was such a great buzz about them through the group stages of the European Championships. And yeah, they went on and won. Yeah. But I do feel like with every performance, they started to just fall away a little bit. And maybe they weren't quite what we thought they were. And maybe Spain should have beaten them and the Swiss could have beaten them. And uh, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from them, but I'd like an investigation into how it's it's got to this point. Uh, yeah, I think an in the club on Italy would be fascinating. Yes. And... Uh, Anything else? I'm sure we're missing some, but I'm good with that list for now. Yeah, that list's all right for me. And then finally, uh, one other thing, JJ. I'm curious. I'm just kind of curious for your thoughts on what happened with Harry Maguire in England. Uh, uh, he was booed by the fans, which I thought was a weird look. Very strange. I mean, look, say what you want about what he's doing at Manchester United. Like, if you're an England fan, okay. Like, what do you care? Right. How many is what is every England fan a United fan? No, no. Like, why are these people booing him? Largely, he's. There are Manchester United fans that might think that because of his time with England, it's affected his play for United. He's largely been very good for his national team. So um, I, I, I thought about this, and I I thought my my opinion was that this is online the online world where he has been ridiculed mercilessly for the past year or so, like manifesting itself in the football stadium. And I thought about that, and I thought, would that, you know, not all, we know about a a large section of English fans. We know what they are. We know, we've seen them in action. It's not beyond them to boo Harry Maguire. That part of it was there for me. But I was like, real football, educated football fans, would they do this? And I read an article that kind of just added a few different elements to the night. It's from Barney Roney, and he talks about what we see on, not just, he's not talking just about the phone, he's talking about television screens as well, and how that tra- that found itself in the stadium, going after Maguire, like acting out the online and the television world in reality. He also noted something interesting, there was a lot younger fans at this game versus the Ivory Coast, because the FA had done discount tickets to fill up Wembley for the game. So there's a different type of fan... A fan that meaning what uh, maybe a less measured, less rational fan, a, a, a younger fan, a fan who is not more of a, a a regular gore to games, and a fan that may not have been to live football at all before, and are acting in a way that they've taken from the online and the TV world and brought it into the stadium. Whereas the older fans who be like, yeah, Maguire's been bad. He's been bad for United, but he's got that three lions on a shirt. You know, you back your players. That's right. not how you act. This is what he wrote, though. I thought this was very good. People should read it. It's on The Guardian. I'll just give you this quick bit. Uh, 
Here we have Roy Keane sat on his throne like a wronged tribal elder, eyes glistening with ancient noble rage. Here we have another instalment in the ongoing inquiry into the public health disaster, the systemic horrors, the reactor core meltdown of Maguire's disappointing club season. This is now an established TV trope, hot content, a way of reeling in the eyeballs while also buffing your own punditry brand. It's also based in a fallacy. Maguire has had a poor season in a poor Manchester United team, but he has at no stage given up or behaved cynically. The idea that he deserved to be booed is entirely mimetic, imitative, screen influence, like chanting your favourite TV catchphrase or yelling at soap opera characters in the street like they're real people. I thought that was a good bit of writing there. Yeah. I can only say that it's that. I heard Ken earlier today say... England fans have always acted this way. And he named out, you know, John Barnes, Raheem Sterling. Like, Garrett Southgate, it wasn't him, because Garrett Southgate in his press conference listed how some players have thought when they've got the England call-up, do I really want to do this? Uh Because if I have a bad game or a bad moment, this is what I'm getting. So the manager, the England manager, thinks this is an endemic problem in the English support. That's... Maybe I don't think this is uniquely English. I think JJ, that's easy to compare to I think our own Ro- country right here. I think that for whatever reason, sometimes like this sort of feeling around a player, it just becomes a thing. It takes on a life of its own. Right, Zardes, Bradley. But I think Harry Maguire. Is, Harry Maguire is in that category in England to be booed, but at home by your own fans, Andrew. That is crazy. Now. Wayne Rooney coming off the field against Algeria, nil-nil. Remember what he said to the camera in the World Cup in 2010. He goes, oh, unbelievable, that's great, being booed by our own supporters. So this has, as Ken and Gareth Southgate said, this has happened before. But, um, but I feel, I agree with Barney Rooney. I think this is straight from the screens, straight from the mobile. This is what we're creating online. I mean, when all the older fans are gone, and I'm talking about guys like me, guys who have some kind of uh, decorum, footballing decorum. All is, right. Yeah, I know you don't think I have any, but <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? Like you got a little proper football, but man, that there's isn't certain you? mores, there's certain values. You don't go into the ground. Like if there was a Man United player playing for Ireland, and I'm a Liverpool fan, I don't take that that stuff no, in there. You've lived that with John O'Shea, and- Roy Keane, and and Dennis Irwin. Yeah, but you don't you you love them. They're your guys. I think those barriers have been broken down by this thing we carry around in our pocket. And it's the younger generation, the the very online fans. And I think they ended up in the stadium. That English team is, they are, maybe the fans felt that way. The players are so connected within that England squad right now. They, to a man, it felt like they all had uh, their teammates back and made that clear afterwards. Harry Kane tweeted, uh, we've worked hard to rebuild our connection with England fans in the last few years, so to hear Harry Maguire boot at Wembley before kickoff was just not right. And then even Tottenham put out that statement from the, from their own club website for Maguire. This uh, is a, this is also a team that went into a major championship, some, most of whose group games, or a lot of group games, will be at home, and the final will be at home. And they were worried right up until the last friendly game before the tournament, whether they would be booed by their own support for taking a stance against racial discrimination, taking yeah. the knee. So, yeah. you know, You're right. maybe it's- maybe it's a little from Gareth and Ken's pot and a little from uh, Barney Rone's pot. It's just wild because you think of 
what this England team has brought to that country from their run in the World Cup to the semifinals to the European Championships up to the the Cup final there like they've two, brought, two they've or, brought so much so much recent joy yeah, to but that it's country not. and and like why what has Harry Maguire done for England in the in the time since that would change it other than his performances for Manchester United and and English fans being influenced by like you say the online community the TV world I don't know Jordan Henderson a, a Liverpool player coming to Manchester United players defense he, he put out a strong statement as well I can't get my head around what happened at Wembley tonight Harry Maguire has been a colossus for England without him the progress made at the last two tournaments would not have been possible to be booed at his home stadium for no reason what have we become what happened tonight was just wrong as someone who wants to win with England I feel fortunate to share a dressing room with him we all feel the same strong stuff good for them man yeah i mean they know that at any moment it could be them at yeah. any moment it could be them and that's that speaks to the english fan base um not all of them as we we always have to make that caveat but a lot of them an awful lot of them one thing about fans before we get out andrew mm. ninety-two thousand people turned out to watch el clasico barcelona's five uh, to win over Real Madrid in the UEFA Women's Cup uh, quarterfinal uh, second leg at the new Camp today. 92,000. A new world record attendance for a women's soccer match. That is... That's awesome. That's amazing. And the scenes of people going into the ground were were just unbelievable. Now that's I know it's cool. two, two glamour clubs. But still. still that's, that's great. That's pretty impressive. That about does it. <sighs> that about does it. Well, it does it for now. What if we get an absolute stinker of a group? <laughs> Meaning what? A group of well, death okay, so, or an uninteresting group? Uh, an, yeah, a stinker would be uninteresting, right? Like uh, To me, there's not, nothing can be yeah, uninteresting Yeah, you're right. At We're point. at a World Cup. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, our, arguably the most dramatic, my greatest moment as a U.S. fan came in a game that on paper I didn't think was going to be anything special, USA-Algeria. Right. You know, so, like, who knows? You never know what the matchup will be that creates the next great moment in your life as a U.S. soccer fan. The point is, you're gonna. It's gonna happen. These games are coming. There will be World Cup soccer for U.S. fans. It's oh man, it's great. It's really. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. And thank you for uh, thank you for sticking with me and uh, through the last. What does it mean? Four and a half years now. Since then, yeah, since last qualifying, yeah, October of 2017, that's about four and a half years. Good Lord. That's been a long time with not a lot. Only last summer did we really have something to get our teeth into with the the Nations League final and then the the Gold Gold Cup Cup. and then World Cup qualifying. Other than that, my friend, it's been pretty much a wasteland of friendlies and trying to take meaning from every (sighs) transfer of a player. I know. It's, uh, yeah... Well, the next few months should be a lot of fun. Uh, we hope that you all enjoy it with us because we're going to do a lot of previewing, I'm sure. I mean, obviously, you know, club seasons will resume and we'll get right back to it. The Premier League race is crazy right now in on all fronts. The Champions League is really heating up. So there's still so much club stuff to do. But then, you know, we'll get into the summer, we'll go into the fall, and it's going to be a... It's going to be fun. The build-up to this is really going to be awesome, and we're so excited that all you guys will be along the way to, to do it with us. Good stuff, man. This was a fun night, a fun night to end a uh, to end this qualification cycle. The U.S. are going to the World Cup. JJ, to you I say... Take it later, fun boy. See you later, man. Take care, bro. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 